girls, identical voices. That's really cool. It sounded awesome. All right. Um, Genesis chapter 46 is where we are this morning. And I was looking through the remainder of Genesis. We only have four chapters left, and there's a lot of interesting things there. Um, and uh, I'm going to kind of sort through it this next week and figure out where we're going to be. But we're not going to look. Well, we are going to examine the entirety of chapter 46 today. We're not going to read all of chapter 46 because my pronunciation guide is a little off. There, there's, a, there's some family names in there that I frankly don't want to mess up. I wouldn't want to offend anybody who might be in that family that's here today. Some of you have claimed you've been around that long. Anyway, so uh, we'll, um, we'll look at Genesis chapter 46, and then I invite you to stand as we read the first seven verses together. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. And offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph, Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives, and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his, his daughters and his sons' daughters. All his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Lord, you are faithful. Uh, it's an interesting uh, climax to the story here, and we, we are thankful, Lord, that in, in the confusion that can happen in our lives, you are in control of the plan, and help us to that point today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so at the end of chapter 45, where were we? We, see, we, we saw Joseph had, had revealed his identity to his brothers, and there was all the, uh, the confusion, and then finally they realized he's actually who he says he is and who he's talking about, and, and he has said that this famine's going to last another five years. I need you to bring dad down. And so now the brothers went back, and Jacob, for some reason, after 20 years of deception, had a hard time believing them at first. Can you imagine something like that? I wouldn't imagine something like that. But they went up to the land of Canaan, it says in verse 25 of chapter 45. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. And he's like, uh, no, you told me he was dead. And they said, no, he's still alive. And then they had to confess their 20-year-old sin to them, to, to their dad. Have you ever been there on the receiving or on the, the, the asking for the forgiveness or the forgiving end of it? Yet, what does God call us to do through all of it? What did we talk about last week? That forgiveness is freedom. Forgiveness brings you back into fellowship with one another. And so at, at verse 28, Israel says, that's Jacob, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. I got this picture this week of, of that moment and the uncertainty and the discouragement to the point of depression that Jacob endured for the last decades. 
and where he gets to a place in his life, and we see later in this, he is not a spring chicken on this, right? He is over 100 years old at this point. And they're saying, Joseph wants us, wants, you to take it, wants us to take you there. And he says, fine, do it. And I remember some times in, in the later parts of my dad's life where he got to that point with his sons. And he said, that's fine, just do what you're going to do with it. Right? You ever been there with your kids? I mean, I don't even have adult kids and I get there with my kids. Right? Fine. Just enjoy yourselves. Clean up the mess later. They don't. Anyway, um, when we get to that place, that, that's where Israel is. That's where Jacob is here. He says, my son is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So the point that, that he is, is total and utter depression, and this will be his end. He just wants it to be over with. I don't think he, he's even really in a place of where he trusts them. He says, all right, whatever you say, guys. Then they end up going back to the homestead, wherever Jacob was. It wasn't in Beersheba, verse 46, or chapter 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. That's on the southwest end of the Dead Sea, south of where Jerusalem would be uh, hundreds of years later. And, and he has a dream. This isn't the first time Jacob has a dream. And it isn't the first time we've talked about dreams in this story. As a matter of fact, that's how we got here in the first place, right? Joseph and his crazy dreams. And he said that his father and his brothers would bow to him, and he told it to his family. And they, first of all, laughed at him, and his brothers then sold him. You know, that's how we get here. And, and then Joseph, in God's plan, ends up being second in command of all the land of Egypt. Now he is the rescue for his plant, his family. He, he could have been embittered, and I'm sure he had those moments along the way, imprisoned, enslaved, yet he had enough time and enough perspective to tell his brothers that this was God's plan. And I wonder sometimes when we go through our hardships that we wonder that same thing. What has God in store for this time? Because you know, we mentioned at the start of the service today, there's a lot of hard things happening in lives of people in this room, people in our community, in our world as a whole. And we wonder, what is going on? And it's with accounts like this that we can be reminded that God has had his hand on it the whole time. He's, he's bringing you through whatever trial and hardship you're enduring so that he might be glorified. And it is all about his glory. And here, obedience and trust takes a whole new picture because Jacob's tired of his kids' stories and he's saying, fine, do with me what you will. So he's old, his sons are not young. We're, if you continue to read these, these uh, uh, the census, I guess, of his family here in verses, uh, for, for verses 8 through 23, we see that Benjamin's got a whole lot of sons by this point too. He is not a young man either. He's the youngest of all of them, but he's not young. And so we see all of these, uh, these, these family members come into this place here. So Jacob has this dream, and God speaks to him there. Now, God does speak through dreams, but you must be reminded, and I, I like to remind people when we get to that point, he doesn't speak as, we, as it would be willy-nilly through a dream. It always goes in accordance to his plan. And, and, and that's what we find here. And that's what we see in the New Testament when these dreams, these revelations come to the people who follow and trust him is that God is bringing assurance of his faithfulness to his promise. 
And that's what's happening right here. He, Jacob and, and, and God have this conversation, and he calls him both names. In verse two, verse 2, God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said to him, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go into Egypt, for there I'll make you into a great nation. If you've read ahead at all, which probably most of you in here have, you know that that's going to be an interesting story. And we're going to talk about that a little bit at the end of the chapter here. He says, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. I, God says, I am the one that's in control of all of this. And I believe Jacob needed that assurance. But the, the verification of it is, it happened. That's where we're going to get to. So he takes off from, the, from then, and like I said, he shows up with his camels and his U-Haul, right? That's the way it worked. I'm sure there was a U-Haul dealer somewhere in Beersheba, right? That's how I moved here, right? No, that, but we know that Jake, or yeah, which one am I talking about? Joseph sent everything needed for the trip. We saw that in the previous chapter. He sent 10 male cam- or donkeys, 10 female donkeys with all the good stuff. And then he sent chariots and wagons. And so one of the interesting things here is that... Um, Israel, Jacob, returns or goes into Egypt in the more humble vehicle. He doesn't go in the big chariot. He goes in the wagon. And that really is going to play out to the population that we find them serving in Egypt. They are not the, I mean, Joseph may have rank, but his family does not. And there's strategy with that as well. He takes their wives and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and the goods which they had gained in the land of Canaan. They came into Egypt, Joseph and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. And then between verses 8 and 23, we see kind of a, a sentence. You can't talk. The roll call. Of the family. You know that, that, that big board on grandma's wall that has how everybody's related to each other? It got real complicated here. So I just want to draw attention to a couple of characters in this story. Leah's kids take an interesting role. Back in chapter 36, I believe, if I'm right, it could be 38, let me get there right, we had this, the account of... Uh, no, 38, Judah and Tamar. Judah is the fourth of Leah's sons. The first three messed it up for themselves. Judah is, ends up being the one that carries the promise, the, the, the rank in the family. And you see his, his family listed in verse 12. The sons of Judah would be Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. That's an interesting story. Go back to chapter 38. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. So... The line that the Messiah would come from comes from the less favored wife, right? And then you also have the daughter listed, which is, uh, she's one of the, the things that happened to her are the reasons the first sons were, uh, were lost their, their rank in the family. But these are the sons of Leah, it said that was before whom she bore to Jacob and Padam Aram, together with his daughter Dinah. Altogether, his sons and his daughters there, numbered 33. 
Now, when they say sons and daughters, they're talking generational. Okay, it's not, not all that. And then when we get to the uh, verses 19 through 25, we see that Jacob uh, J- mentions Rachel's kids especially. And um, in verse 19, it says, uh, The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin. Now, Joseph was not on this journey. Okay? Joseph was still in Egypt. The step of faith is that Jacob had to believe what the rest of the boys had to tell him. Right? So, Joseph is just part of the, the counting here. These are his children. Uh, Joseph in the land of Egypt bore Manasseh and Ephraim whom Asenoth, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, here they are, Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Muppam, Huppam, <laughs> those are fun names, and Ard. Well, why don't we pick those names when we name them? Other? Get a cat, get a couple of cats named Muppim and Huppim. There you go. Sorry, uh, I always want to get a dog and name it Hazel Pony. That's one of the names in, later in the Old Testament. I'm sorry, that's um, bad, Greg. Okay, um, so uh, you see that then it says the, the descendants through Rachel were 14 persons in all. Verse 26, all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's son's wives, not, not including the wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. Okay. Big crew is on its way across the desert. And they're taking the direct routes. So God brings, as, a pro, as promised, he provides for his offspring. And we see that this is only the third and the fourth generation after the promise that was made to Abraham. Abram was an old man, right? And God makes him a promise that he will bear sons and his sons, his descendants will outnumber the sands on the seashore and the stars in the sky and all the big things, small things with the big things. He's going to have so many descendants. Abraham sees Isaac ultimately as the child of that promise. We won't get into the rest of that story. Then you have Jacob and Esau as the descendants of Isaac. Jacob being the younger son gets the blessing. Again, deception was involved. Not the best uh, testimony there. But we see that the point in that is God's faithfulness. He's faithful to that. And now we see this fulfillment in the fourth generation of 70 going into Egypt. So, that is how we get here. Jacob gets the promise and now we get to this place of reunion. Verse 28, he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came to the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Just imagine for both of them. Joseph knew he was the, the subject of deception. Yet he had already confessed to his brothers, this was God's work, not yours. I forgive you. Then Jacob sees his son, whom he presumed dead until a few days earlier. Imagine what that reunion was like. We see a little picture of it here that they wept on each other's neck. How long did that cry fest last? 
Wow, I can't even imagine it. The joy that would fall upon, the grief in the time there. But now Israel has just said, this is it. Israel says to Joseph, now let me die. That's done. Now I can die. Joseph's like, well, hold on, Dad. <laughs> I've been waiting on this day for a long time. Now you're just going to kick the bucket? That's not what we're going for here. No, uh, no. now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. The only thing for the last 20 plus years that this father had longed for was to see the face of the son that he had lost. And now his life is complete. Joseph, being a teenager when this happened, now is a well, uh, he's well grown and, and has been in charge of Egypt for a while. He's a man of rank, he's a man of wisdom. And now he says, this is good. So Joseph said to his brother in his father's household, we now see in verse 31 the strategy that Joseph uses to provide for his family. It works, but it also has long-term consequences. I was reading earlier that in um, an Egyptian society, there were multiple levels, and the shepherds were the lowest. And so here he picks them to be shepherds. They brought their sheep with them. And I was reading the account of Joseph this morning, I'm sorry, Jacob this morning. Uh, if you go back chapters 30 through 33 through Genesis, how Jacob becomes rich is crazy. But he has a lot of sheep. So he says, we'll be shepherds. And now, so Joseph receives his family and puts them basically in the lowest place. But the, the, the strategy here was survival, right? What are they in the middle of? Huge famine. And here come these wayward, vagrant shepherds with a whole lot of sheep coming into this land that hasn't seen rain for a good while now, and it won't for even longer. And now they have to find a place to live. There's only seven of, or 70 of them right now, but that's still a pretty good crew. That's a lot of minivans, guys, right? That's going to take, take some time to find a place for them all to settle. So they go to this region called Goshen. And that's presumed to be on the western edge of the Nile Delta. It, it's kind of a spot they've had a hard time finding in, in archaeological stuff. But that's, that's where it's presumed to be is in the western, I'm sorry, the eastern end of the Nile Delta, not western. I, got my, I don't even know why I thought that. Got it backwards. But anyway, it says, he goes up to Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my household who are in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herd and all that they have. So when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even till now, both we and our fathers. There's a reason for this. Here's the purpose. In order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. They want to be left alone. Now, I can see that for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons they need that isolation is because they are significantly different in faith than all the nations around them. If you go into Egyptian mythology, you, Jeeps, Egyptian, Egyptian mythology, they, you know, Bear, Pharaoh is the son of the sun god and is next in line to be God. And their worldview is tremendously different. 
And so now God is putting them in a place, and yes, I say God, God is putting them in a place where their national and faith identity can flourish. But it's not an easy place, ultimately. God puts them on the plains of Goshen so that they can be shepherds, so that they can be set apart. But we're going to find that times get harder, and they still must maintain that identity of who they are as servants of the one most high God. And we're going to face challenges and trials that put us in a very similar place in our world. It's going to be easy. It's going to be really easy to fall in line with whatever the world is offering us. But God has called us to be Israelites in the land of Egypt. In the New Testament, they call it strangers and aliens in this world. And now, Joseph had maintained his identity with his, in his job. They knew he was a different guy, that he worshipped differently than them. Now, Pharaoh had put great trust in him by God's providence. But they knew he was different. And now he makes sure they stay that way. We have to be very intentional when we find ourselves in the midst of the world, that we identify and serve the one who put us there. Does that make sense? The Israelites have been called out in hardship now. We see them become Israelites at this point. They've been called out in hardship, and they, they find their place of rescue in the midst of the darkness. They find their place of feasting in the middle of a famine. And the testimony is of this one who was taken in all ways against his will, but according to God's plan to bring rescue. We will find our places so confusing sometimes. And yes, we will sometimes walk into deeper and deeper hardship. But God is faithful. He provides through all of those things. And we see that promise here in verse 34. In order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, they have a place to live, and they can be who they are. But they're still in Egypt. They're still in the land that isn't promised to them, knowing that God has given them a place ahead of time. Verse 48 gets really interesting here. I'm sorry, verse 40. Chapter 47. What, I'm, I told Allison this morning, I'm really sleepy. I can't get my brain going this morning. All right. I've had a lot of coffee too. I don't know what the deal is. All right. Maybe that's the problem. So we see that um, times get harder and they have to make some hard decisions. And it's going to seem that God is further and further away. But he has not taken his eyes off those who love him and trust him. And in this sojourn, as it would be for Joseph, he never took his eyes off the one he chose and the one who serves him. And he provides for the one who is faithful to him. And he gives a way of escape in the time of famine, in the way of survival. And so this, this account of Joseph 
brings that rescue in a temporary place that we are promised for eternity in Christ Jesus. Joseph is our, our, our messianic figure in this point because he is the one who brings rescue to God's people. But ultimately, there's still hardship ahead. In Christ, after this time of, of exile into Egypt, and they find their way back into the promised land eventually, and then they have the periods of the kings and the prophets, and then God is silent for another 400 years. God brings his plan to fruition. And now, even today, we wonder, God, where are you? But I'm going to tell you that we have not faced trials to the point of death, personally. And God is faithful to draw you through what you're going through right now. And it may feel like you've been stuck on the plain of Goshen. But you know why they went to Goshen? It's so they could eat there. They could grow there. And, and where do you typically grow the most personally and spiritually? When that faith is tested, when that trial comes, you understand more and more of who God is in that trial. And that's where we end today. Yeah, there's strategy here for Joseph to bring them into the land of Goshen because they will be provided for. But it will also end up being a place where their faith is basically crushed over the next hundreds of years. And we'll see in, in between Genesis and, Exodus, Genesis and Exodus, there's a big shift there. And you have permission to read on. It's good. Go for it. In the next few weeks, we'll talk about Jacob's fulfillment in that because it comes back to Jacob after all this Joseph stuff. And we see that they start terming the faith of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Right? And we, we see the nation take on the name Israel. What does Israel mean? Well, Jacob's uh, wrestling with God in earlier chapters finds his name changed to Israel. Instead of the scoffer, he becomes the one who contends with God. And that's the name that the, the nation carries. Those who strive with God. I think we're all a bunch of Israels. Because we want to question God and his plan. But God is faithful in his word to bring forth his promise. And that's where I want to draw you at today because Jacob now has been released from this trial of losing his son. He's been reunited with the one who he thought was gone. But there's more ahead. And you are probably in a similar place today somehow. You're probably going through some hardships and some trials and you don't understand everything God has in store. And I can tell you I've been there too and I can be there at any moment in time. There are some things you don't understand. We will never understand with our human perspective because we don't have the eyes of God. But it's all bringing it to pass for his glory. And so maybe you're Jacob today, sitting in the desert, as old as you've ever been, and all of a sudden, here come the camels and the donkeys and the carrier, the carriages, and, and all of these different kinds of things. The big U-Haul truck to pick up everything and go. You think about, what did Jacob take with him into Egypt? 
He took his faith and he took his family and the ones he loved. I don't think he was too worried about that couch he used to sleep on. He took the blessing of the Lord with him. And we all have the baggage, but ultimately what matters is how we relate to him. And we saw that at the beginning here. God says, trust me. So if you're going through that trial, if you're going through that hardship, and I know so many people going through so many different things, as many people as there are in a room, there are trials. God's with you. He's going to give you strength. He's going to give you courage to walk in obedience to him. Trust him today. Let's pray. Lord, you are good to us. You are faithful. Thank you for your fulfilled promises. Thank you for fulfilling promises we don't even realize have been made. For seeing the rescue here of a people in your eternal plan. And Father, for the one today who's having a hard time trusting you, I pray that your presence would bring joy and peace that maybe we don't see the end of that road, but I pray, Lord, we realize that, that you are guiding us on that road. Give us courage and grace. Thank you for your goodness to us, and may we bless you today in Jesus' name.